Welcome to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast. Today, Joel and I talk rights. What is a right? What is a moral right versus a legal right? Is one person's right another person's duty? What is Walter Storff's principle of correlatives? And what do we mean when we say we live in an agonistic society? These and other questions we might answer in this podcast, probably not as nicely and neatly as your favorite politician or organization will, and so perhaps not as you might want us to. Or really, this is, you know, Joel's fault. I'm the good guy here. But in any case, perhaps rights are a tad richer than the way we're used to using them. Wondering Toward Wisdom is a part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Check out tacticalfaith.com for more info, other podcasts, ways to contact us, blogs, and so on, including ways to help support us in what we do. You can contact contact us directly by emailing us at wondering at tacticalfaith.com or tweeting us at wonderingwisdom. And in both those cases, wondering has an underscore where the A or the O would be. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, Joel and I are going to be talking, continuing our talk about politics. We've talked about the idea of justice and politics, uh, generally speaking. And we hope that you've been tremendously disappointed by our talk and that we haven't told you to vote for some particular party or how to vote or anything like that, but are trying to encourage you to think in a, in a more robust way about these topics. So today we're going to continue on that path and we're going to be talking about rights. And there's a lot of discussion about rights, just like there's a lot of discussion about politics and justice. And there's questions about what is a right, who has the rights, who confers those rights, what kinds of things are included in rights, and what kinds of rights are there? Civil rights, human rights, legal rights, moral rights, that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to kick it off to Joel because I've never cared or concerned myself with rights. That's a joke. But let's begin with Joel just telling us what is a right? Well, that's a great question. And part of the answer to that question depends on what kind of rights you're talking about. But if we're talking about rights generally, we, we're saying that there's some good that a person is entitled to in some way. And, and that's just a very, very broad approach to rights. How that person gets that good, who who's supposed to give that good to that person, all those kinds of things. Part of those depend on whether they're talking about legal rights or moral rights or human rights, you know, what kind of rights we're talking about. And part of that uh, is is based on kind of understanding what the purpose of the the good that someone has a right to is. So I I want to focus our discussion in into the direction of uh, legal rights and and moral rights. Uh, what the reason I'm I'm going with that distinction is because that's kind of the the main way of breaking things down. I mean, when we talk about civil rights, we could talk about them in a moral sense. We can talk about them in a legal sense. When we talk about human rights, we can talk about them in a moral sense. We can talk about them in a legal sense. Um, when we, with a lot of the, the categories of rights, talking about them in a moral sense uh, can be and is often different than talking about them in the legal sense. So when we're talking about, go ahead. Well, let me, so, so, I mean, part of the point that you're making is that we are sloppy when we talk about rights. 
and that we tend to confuse these two categories. And this is maybe a lot of our disagreement and argumentation comes, our, our fighting comes because I'm, I'm, I conflate the two. Are they clearly distinct in some way? So there is a significant messiness that comes from the way most people talk about rights because they don't think about this distinction. Or if they have this distinction in mind, they're trying to figure out how do we make moral rights into legal rights or vice versa. The the sloppiness comes from – this is going to sound very cynical, but rights are such a uh, idealistic tool. Uh, I, I mean, no one wants to be accused of denying someone their rights. And so because it's such an idealistic, powerful tool, everyone wants to use it because if you can use it in rights language, if you can frame your issue in rights language, it carries a lot more weight in discussion than if it's not in rights language. Um, so people want to use rights language very, you know, a lot, uh, but um, we need to be much more clear about what we mean when we talk about rights, what kind of rights we're talking about. And so by trying to get at these categories, I'm trying to help us get more clear so that we can get at the heart of the issue um, of what our rights and what role do rights play in our uh, politics, what rights do – and, and politics in the, the classical sense of the term that we talked about – we've been talking about the last couple episodes. And um, you know, what do rights mean in that sense? But also what do they mean in a governing sense? So I, I can see why – why people would use moral rights more than legal rights, because it seems like legal rights come because it doesn't, it doesn't carry much weight because a legal right is just means that your, your team won. Uh, if I'm arguing against or for a particular legal right, it has to do with whether we can legislate it or whatever. Whereas a moral right says there's grounding in reality itself that declares that you're evil. I guess my question is, so, so that makes sense. So, uh, and I don't want to throw you off off kilter here, but we have lots of declarations of human rights. We have uh, perhaps one of the most famous ones is, of course, the Declaration of Independence, which says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that the whole purpose of government is to protect those rights. And then, of course, you have the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which has, you know, approximately 30 different rights that are listed out. Mm -hmm. um, are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, are those legal rights, moral rights? Where would you categorize them? The way that Thomas Jefferson used those those rights in the Declaration of Independence were was saying that uh, they are moral rights that should dictate our legal rights. And, and and let me let me let me take a minute and try and be more clear on what we mean by legal right versus moral right, J just to to make sure it's on uh, it's clear to people. Because if we're wanting to get clear about our rights language, uh, I want to make sure that you know we take the time to make those things clear. Um, so when we talk about legal rights, we're going to be talking about the things you know, like Travis said, that governments can enforce. You know, these are goods that the govern government has decided must be afforded to people and they attach legal consequences um, to a failure to afford these rights. Um, 
you know they can they can do things they can uh, be attempts to to codify um, moral rights so things like the right to life the right to liberty the life to the or right to the pursuit of justice or happiness sorry to be a legal right there has to be some sort of governing authority behind the right um, this is why the UN's declaration of of human rights is they're not talking about legal rights necessarily uh, because the UN lacks legal authority in countries. Um, however, they're, they're trying to say that these should be legal rights of sorts. The, it, the UN declaration of human rights is a very uh, messy, complicated document. It has a lot of um, good things about it, but it's very uh, messy at the same time. Uh, so that's those are legal rights. Moral rights, these are, when we say someone has a moral right to a good, we're saying that this is a good that morality says should be afforded to people. Um, it, is, it is a sign of, uh, of a lack of goodness if we fail to provide these things to others. You know, as Travis said, um, you're evil if you don't do this. I don't know if I'd go so far to say evil as much to say you are not being as good as you should be or definitely could be if if you are failing to do this. Okay. So there are moral rights that, that, that arguably uh, should be dictating legal rights, which makes sense because uh, as the Declaration of Independence is written, the government is meant to protect those rights, not to give those rights. So is part of this is part of the distinction between legal and moral rights is the origin of those rights? That kind of because when we start talking about moral rights now we have to get back into all of our discussions we've had about uh what is morality, how do we communicate morality, all those kinds of things. And so it's a lot harder to have clear agreement on what a moral right is, whereas with legal rights, whatever's written in the law is, is a legal right. I mean, we, we could even, you know, the government could decide tomorrow, you know, with all the, the wisdom that we see from Washington, uh, that every American is entitled to three, te- three Twinkies a day, and that there's some penalty if, if each American is not given that, and um, that would be a legal right. But I'd vote I'm, for that. <laughs> I, you know, when I was twenty, uh, I would have voted for that more quickly than I would now. You know, as my body gets older, it doesn't necessarily appreciate the Twinkies as much as it once did. <laughs> but, I understand um, that. But the part of the messiness of rights language is if we're not careful to distinguish between legal rights and moral rights. We start th- treating a, a country that says you have a right to a Twinkie in the same, you know, that right in the same way that we might talk about the right to um, clean water or, you know, clean air or uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, you know, those kinds of things. Um, when, when there's a clear difference between, I, I think there's a clear difference between them. Um, I find for my purposes, you know, as an ethicist, not as a political scientist, I'm I'm more interested in moral rights because I think moral rights can um, 
are kind of more fundamental to a society than legal rights. But legal rights serve an important role depending on on what's going on in the society itself. All right, so let's talk about moral rights. It seems like everybody knows what rights are and which things counts as, count as rights given how they talk. What kind of special thing do you have to say about rights? So before uh, we, we got to take a minute and set that up. Um, when we talk about rights, about moral rights, we have to understand wh- what is the fundamental nature of community, of a society, um, and the interactions in that, because that's going to change what we think rights do. So if we think that the interactions of a community or, the, or the, you know, the, what a society fundamentally is, is that it's, it's agonistic. That means it's um, at odds with each other. It's not just that, you know, you're competing, but like it's, it's almost a, almost life and death. There, there's a sense of that person is not just a competitor, but almost my enemy. And so I, I am at odds with them. If that's how we think society functions, then when we talk about rights, we're going to be talking about limits on how far we can indulge that, uh, that, that enmity between people and how far others can indulge that against us. Um, and if that is how society actually is, then rights have are, are much more about, um, you know, the limits. They're, they're not going to, to do much in the way of promoting goodness in us as much as they're going to be, you know, kind of, you know, if you have kids that are close in age, when they start fighting with each other, you know, the best thing isn't always to just stop the argument, but to, to kind of draw lines and say, okay, that's too far. You know, if you want to argue about things, like there are certain things you can say, but there are certain lines you can't cross. Um, but I would like to think that we at least hope that society can be more than that. Um, you know, some someone might say, well, society is fundamentally transactional. That is, our interactions with other people are are merely a matter of they have something I need. I have something they need. We make exchanges. And, and in that sense, we're not necessarily on the same team, but we work together because we have stuff that each other needs. uh, Not because I am actually concerned about you. Similarly, if that's how we think society functions, then we're going to be looking for, rights to be the limits on kind of what we can trade, how we trade, setting limits on how we trade, setting limits on how we value the things we trade. Um, like they're not going to say like, you know, rights are going to say, you know, you can't trade your, uh, your child for an Xbox. Um, you know, that it's going to set right, set limits on things saying, you know, someone has been wronged if that's the trade that you're trying to make. And, you know, in both of these views, we we don't see a connection to each other as far as my goodness as a person, my 
my growing as a human being having anything to do with how well you're doing or vice versa. Okay, let me let me let me jump in real quick and ask you a question here. Uh-huh. About so when you're talking about uh we tend to see uh if we're in a society that is we're essentially transactional, which is built upon the idea I think that we're essentially in an agonistic society because our relationships aren't built on interconnectedness, but on you being either an enemy, a consumer, or a producer. And so you're not, I'm not attached to you in any particular way. And so you can, you can imagine sort of an Ayn Randian situation where our, where it's a, you might call it a perfect meritocracy. I'm not saying Ayn Rand creates perfect societies. I'm saying a perfect meritocracy in that one is purely successful or valued even in terms of in terms of personal relationships loved insofar as one has something some sort of transactional relationship with those around them so you have to have something of value to hand over to the other people and and then they give you something in return and it's interesting that she takes that transactional nature and applies it to private to personal relationships which is I mean, I'll, I'll let my, I'll lay some of my cards on the table here. That's gross. And so, um, say what you want about her political economic stuff, but her stuff on personal relationships is completely, it's, it's way off. She's out of her mind. Mm -hmm. And so, so, but the the reason she's out of her mind is because we're not just fundamentally transactional. In fact, arguably the way we talked about politics, just the idea of politics is, is at our heart, we are not transactional. We are relational in this richer sense, and we can mm-hmm. appeal back to the Trinity, or we can just appeal to the fact that we have families. You start off, uh, arguably, you start off your entire life in this sort of interconnected, loving relationship with your mother, and hopefully your father, and you know, hopefully some siblings, uh, as long as they're not old, three older sisters like I had. And so, <laughs> in a in a society where if we view society as fundamentally transactional which arguably is lined up with being an agonistic society, mm-hmm. then the fundamental rights are going to be rights to property. Does that make sense? Is that right? I I would say it's more about more along the lines that the fundamental rights we have are going to be about setting limits on on things, which property will is obviously going to be an important uh, aspect of that because um, you know in the transactional um, relationships you got to have something of value in order to trade um, so you know and that value typically is or the thing of value is typically uh, property of some sort yeah well, um, well what I mean what I mean is that there will have to be some sort of rights to protect bodily integrity of course maybe I'm I'm slipping to legal here but I think I'm trying I'm trying to speak in terms of moral moral rights to bodily safety and integrity and the recognition of ownership, because if I don't have recognition of ownership, I can't trade. Well, so this, this is a a slight tangent on what you just said, but you, what the way you said it, that, you know, it feels like it's legal rights, but you want to try and stick to moral rights in these societies that are fundamentally transactional or fundamentally agonistic, whether you can separate those two, we can, is another discussion, but in those societies, if you're not forced to abide by the limits, if there isn't some enforcement mechanism apart from you're just not a good person, um, you're probably not going to care very much about 
whether or not you're respecting rights. Okay. So, okay. This is, this is great. This is great. I'm going to interrupt you because this is magnificent. What you're basically, it sounds like what you're saying is part of the reason why we get confused about moral, legal, moral and legal rights and tend to conflate them is because we have an agonistic view or a transactional view of human relationships. Is that what you're getting at? Yes. Or, oh, that's, or that's fantastic. Or at least we, fu- we, we function in that way. Um, that, that it's transactional or, or agonistic. So when we, so we realize that we need some enforcement mechanism and that's why um, there's such a push to make all of these rights, moral rights into legal rights, because we, we don't think those rights are going to, those limits are going to be respected without the legal enforcement uh, mechanism. Okay. So, so the ag- the agonistic and the transactional can often arise simply because I don't trust my neighbor, you might say. Yeah. Right. I don't trust the person next to me. So I'm like, uh, I, I can't speak about moral rights because my neighbor doesn't care because my neighbor's a schmuck. And so therefore, uh, and I'm talking to you, buddy, if you happen to be listening, uh, no, <laughs> but he's great. But, uh, but because my neighbors, you know, my, I don't trust the people down the street. I don't trust the people on the other side of town, whatever, whatever happens to be. I don't trust the people in DC. And so therefore I need, uh, I seek to directly enforce. And so I, even if I believe that we're interconnected in some meaningful way, because I lack trust, I'm fundamentally thinking in agonistic terms. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's an element of which the, the striving to codify moral rights into legal rights is based in a lack of trust, a lack of um, belief in, in the, in the goodness of your neighbor. And, and sometimes that is justified but i think instead of that being kind of the approach from which we start from uh, uh, starting from a point of of serious distrust we might be better off if we if that was kind of a last resort move as opposed to a um an immediate go to like it it feels in in a lot of uh today's uh discussions about rights. Yeah. So let, let me, let me, cause I, I, I want, I want to flesh this out because I, I feel like you're saying something fantastic, but I want to, I need, I need to play this off you a little bit. Um, so it seems like, like when we talked about, when we talk about the interconnectedness, because this, this is a flaw in my thinking that keeps coming up. And you mentioned it in the first of these episodes, how, whenever we talk about politics, we automatically shift into talking about government. And part of that reason is because we're, we are, we think in terms of an agonistic society. So even when I talk about the fact that we're interconnected, what somebody might hear me saying is, oh, that guy's a socialist, <laughs> right? Now, now I'm not saying socialism doesn't arise out of this. What I'm saying is as soon as you do that, you're, you're thinking we are not, we are fundamentally agonistic and therefore when I say we're interconnected, what I'm saying is we need the government to come in and, and enforce interconnectedness. Does that make sense? Like, like we're not talking about gun to your head interconnectedness, though that may be the conclusion, you know, because we're not going to tell you what to think about that kind of stuff. Because we're talking at a – you're trying to talk at a truly relational community, person-to-person level, which mm-hmm. is, in fact, the ground of politics. And so – uh I guess what I'm saying is even when we talk about interconnectedness, what we're talking about 
is in fact relationship with our neighbors, not an enforced relationship based on based on top-down intervention, given that I don't trust my neighbor, but I require things from my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So there's a difference yeah. between me knowing my neighbor and interconnecting and, and us, us acting for one another's good and my distrust of the neighbor and therefore demanding that the government make my neighbor act for my good. Yeah. And I mean, we, we can even look at homeowner association uh, guidelines. I mean, they yeah. call them guidelines, but they enforce them. I mean, what those are based on is this sense of um, we have a certain standard and we can't trust you to live up to that standard without some enforcement mechanism. And so we can uh, charge you fines for for putting vinyl siding on the front of your house instead of metal or wood or brick, or, you know, you have to, if you make, want to make any changes to the exterior of your house, you have to get that approved by a committee because we don't trust you to make a good decision that won't hurt the, the value of everyone else's house. So in, in a sense that our neighborhoods are, you know, a, a, a more fundamental, uh, community than than you know a city or, or county or state or or country um even that we've we've turned to enforcement mechanisms to uh protect us from our neighbor as opposed to um seeing it seeing our relationships as being interconnected and working toward the good of each other i've always been nervous about hoas and the neighborhood i'm in is not particularly wealthy but it's you know not not poor either i guess you'd say and we do sort of have an like when my when my lawn starts to get a little bit a little bit too long, I start feeling like, eh, my, you know, my neighbors aren't going to like this. That's a sort of different thing than mm -hmm. my uh, I got a couple weeds in my lawn and I get fined, you know, two hundred bucks, right, uh, for not doing it. And, and what I'm saying, yeah, the the HOAs are built on the idea that neighbors don't know each other, and therefore we need enforcement, which is part of the reason why there's something feels gross about those. But if you live in an HOA. It does keep your value up and, you know, as you hate your neighbor or you, is that what HOA stands for? Hate of, hate <laughs> another, of hate, <laughs> yeah, of another. hate of another. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but it's not, you know, uh, I, I understand the reason for him, but that's interesting because it's based on upon, it's based upon a community. It's a community good. People agree to them. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be part of an HOA. I mean, if you live in that neighborhood, you have to, mm -hmm. and people agree to it. It's for the benefit. It benefits everyone. So it's for a sort of common good, but it's enforced from the top. Right. Which is based on an agonistic idea. Mm -hmm. But, but here's the thing. When we speak of rights, we want the kind of rights that will stand up to the fact that most of us live agonistically. And I don't know if I'm, I'm getting ahead of us here because you're kind of the one you're the, you're the knowledgeable in here, but I want to be able to say, uh, when someone's being oppressed, when somebody's being jailed, Ill, you know, illegally or just mistreated by another, I want to have, I don't want to have to be saying to them, I, I don't want to have a morality, like I don't want to have a, how do I want to put this? I don't want a set of rights where I speak to them simply and try to encourage them to be nicer because rights have to deal with the fact that we, most of us do in fact live agonistically. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so, so is there, so do rights, do they derive from the fact that we're interconnected and then, then, uh, uh, 
press against or mitigate against the agonistic, or do rights just have to become something else once we enter the the quote unquote reality of agonistic society? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, um, the way that we handle rights, because even when we're interconnected, there is a place for legal rights, and there is a place for an enforcement mechanism, but it's it's not the first thing we go to. Um, by by pushing to legal rights, we're kind of skipping the whole person to person process that might actually change the person as opposed to just changing their actions. So, it, it, if we take a step back and say, if we assume that we are relational communal, that's our fundamental relationship, um, and and that's the way that things are supposed to be, even though if we have to, even if we end up functioning agonistically or transactionally then we we have this sense of we're looking out for the good of each other and we're working toward the good of each other and if if we have that mindset even if even if at some level we don't necessarily trust other people to do that but if if that's where we're coming from if we can try and have that stance that mindset then then when someone steps in and says um and says hold on you're violating my rights it's not that we're we're saying, "Hey, you've crossed a line." It's saying, "Hey, you're you're not looking out for my good in the way that you think you are." You have to frame it differently because now we're like, "Okay, why is this a good thing, and why is it to my good to have it?" Um, as opposed to just saying, "I've got a legal right to this." You know, it's like you're you're laying your big trump card, and you know you win the the argument without an argument because. I've got a right to it where, you know, and, and people will adhere to the, to rights, you know, in that rights language in that sense, but it doesn't mean that they're going to um, actually care about you or care about your good. But if you, if you can explain to them, this is a good thing and this is to my good. And if you think you're concerned about my good, then you should be concerned about this. That's going to be a much more meaningful discussion. Now, if you have that discussion and it doesn't do any good, you know, then that's why we have the legal rights. That's why we have the enforcement mechanism. When people refuse to see the good to, and work toward the good of another, then we need the legal rights to step in and, and help promote those things. Okay. So what, what I hear you're saying is that rights are somehow tied to the good of a person. Yes. So one one of the things that seems to happen is when we talk about rights, we almost invariably talk about it. Se- it seems like we waver between two two extremes. Where I tend to talk about I tend to talk about rights in two ways. I talk about things that frustrate me that I'm afraid I'm losing or that where I've been mistreated, and I talk about humans, just all humans. And those are the two. That's those are the right. And, and strangely enough, they sent they tend to align. Like what is the good for the human is what is good for me, which seems a little bit solipsistic, narcissistic, self-centered. I think I'm God sort of a problem. And so uh, what you're saying is that human rights ultimately derive from the good of the person. The good of the person is understood within the context in which they're living. And, uh, and so moral rights are complex. So it's possible. Let me ask you this. Is, Is it possible that my neighbor has a set of moral rights that are distinct from my other neighbor. Yes, 
I mean, but I want to be careful in how I say that. Um, <laughs> because that could be misinterpreted very badly. Yes. So part of moral rights um, are, I guess you could say, are dictated by by the kind of relationship you have with, with a person. So the more you know about a person, the more particular uh, you have an understanding of their good, the more uh, focused you're going to be able to talk about the rights that that person has. Um, our problem is we, we, we don't necessarily want to do the work of getting to know people to where at that level. So we want to just think about, well, if I don't know someone, what would be a general good for, for a human that it seems like that would be the case for all humans. And those are the kinds of things that we end up saying are human rights, but we're often looking at that through our lens and we don't necessarily um, have the same mindset as the actual people we're talking about. Um, so a, a good example of this would be um, the UN. Uh, they didn't add it to their Universal Declaration of Human Rights, but they've the their Council of Human Rights has said uh, internet access is a human right. And amen. That you know, to to us in the West who are um, mindlessly connected to our to the internet, um, that makes complete sense. Uh, but to someone who might not even have electricity, they're like. What what's the internet? Um, or you know, it, it, it would be a nonsensical thing. And you're like, well, if you were more developed, then you would then you would want this as you know, and and need this. So you have a human right to it, even if you don't understand it. That doesn't make any any sense. I mean, not that their understanding is what's necessary for it to actually be a human right, but they're flourishing in this moment is not connected to whether they have internet access or not. Um, now, ultimately, we may say, you know, the flourishing we want for all people is such that they would be living in a space where uh, internet access is a good thing. That And if that is the case, then that is something that we should work to make sure they have access, you know, that they do have internet access. Um but that is a different uh, statement than just saying it is a blanket human right that every human should have access to the internet. Um, I mean, I think some people, you might be able to make a case that at least certain parts of the internet are actually detrimental to human flourishing. Um, what what parts are you talking about, Joel? I'm talking about social media primarily. Oh, I thought you were talking about something else, but yeah, there's a well, there's quite a few I, things on the internet that are yes. detrimental to human flesh. Yeah. <laughs> maybe what I should have said is things that aren't necessarily immediately thought of as detrimental to human flourishing that <laughs> right. are detrimental to human yeah. flourishing. Well, I mean, I mean, again, there are some people who use social media to keep connected with people that they're distant from and so on. Like my wife's really good about that. Right. So, but what you're saying is that there are, there, there are rights that as we come to know our neighbor, it's, it's that we, we could respond to them differently in, in accordance with their rights. So for example, I have, I have a lot of, I have quite a few elderly neighbors, you know, a couple of them have difficulty. And so, you know, every once in a while I'll get called, you know, maybe even somewhat late at night to go help get one of my neighbors off the floor. 
do they have a right, a moral right to, not legal, I'm not saying they're going to call the cops on me. Do they have a moral right to my assistance? I want to be careful here because this is, this is the way that we often think of rights. We, we often think of it, if someone has a right, then that means someone has a duty to give them that right. And so, um, you know, well, Nicholas Wolterstorff in his book, Justice, Rights, and Wrongs, he talks about what he calls a principle of correlatives, where basically he says, if a person has a moral right, then someone else has a, a correlative moral duty uh, with respect to that, such that, you know, it's a focus on what do others owe me or what do I owe others when we talk about rights. And that, that sounds agonistic. I agree. I I think there's a there's a sense in which we our our intuition is to say, okay, if someone has a right, who has the duty to, to fulfill that right? And um and so it, it's not that we we do it because uh we we want to help our neighbor move toward the good it's we we do it because we have an obligation that um at the very least means we're a bad person if we don't okay well this i think this is an interesting discussion we're obviously gonna have to do more but i do i do have an important question i think that's everybody on, on everybody's minds is healthcare all right well look at the time that's all we have time for today join us again next week as we talk more about rights and justice and politics and see if maybe I'd answer that loaded question that Travis ended with.